I'm going to give you the title of my message, really not at Christmas, um, and yet it is about Jesus. His name is in the title. The title of my message is A Disciple of Jesus. A Disciple of Jesus. And right next to that, I'll ask a question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Or do you think a disciple of Jesus was 12 men that lived 2,000 years ago and followed him around for three years and then went out and taught? You know, Jesus, maybe you think you're a Christian and you stay from the term a disciple. But I don't think we should. I don't think Jesus ever called anybody a Christian. But he called the people that followed him or that uh, he taught. He called them his disciples. The very last thing that Jesus said, <clears throat> he ascended. Somebody get me a glass of water. I think I have a little bit of a throat. Thank you. Um, the last thing he said, oh, I'll get two of them. Now, is that coffee? Uh, okay. I like my coffee without the coffee in it. Anyway, um, the last thing that Jesus said before he went to heaven, he said that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then we are to baptize those converts and then we are to make disciples of them. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That disciples of Jesus. To learn. To teach people. <clears throat> and I'm going to say this. I appreciate the church here. But we are guilty. Along with most of Christianity today. Thank you. I already got one. But I got plenty now. We are guilty of not maybe focusing on making converts and not much on making disciples. That seems to be a common problem in Christianity. And I think that it is very important, and I guess uh, I shared a little bit with our leadership uh, Tuesday night when we were together, uh, that God has put on my heart, and maybe you think I'm on a bit of a discipleship kick, but God, I believe God's clearly spoke to me, gave me an assignment. When we go to Honduras, I am to study those commandments that Jesus gave. I'm to teach, write, preach the commandments because you know, most of us, like me, most of you have probably grown up in church life being taught to observe a lot of things, but not a lot of things that focus exactly on what Jesus taught. And that's what we are to do. We are to teach converts to observe all the things that Jesus taught. <clears throat> it's not your fault that you haven't been taught more. It's the leadership's fault. 
Am I right? Am I fair in saying that? Elders, it is up to us, not necessarily to do all the teaching, but to present the, the opportunity. You know, we do a little bit of that in our small group. Edwin, Joe Smoker, AJ, uh, Jeff, myself, is there more? I, we have, I think we would say we probably enjoy most. We've done a lot of different things in our small groups, but we probably enjoy it the most when we take a scripture or a topic in scripture and just discuss it. You know, it's not just one person doing the teaching and everybody else. It was a group discussion. You know, they teach me as well as the other way around. That's the way it should be. <clears throat> so I think that, um, you know, and, and, and again, even if I say it's the least fault, we have this opportunity a couple times a year to stand up here and teach each of us. Uh, how many times did you preach this year, DK, here? Oh, did you? Okay. You know, we don't have many much opportunity. And there's a lot of topics to preach on. And there's a lot of good topics. So unless we put a little more effort into being having discipleship classes, it's continue on. So anyway, uh, let's I want to explain to you some of the benefits of being a disciple of Jesus, and then we have to look at the cost. There is a cost. Jesus made it very clear. There's a cost, and he made it very clear where to count the cost. Anyway, uh, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, I'm not going to read uh, Go read it just for the sake of time. But it says that you, who should now be teaching, are still on milk. And you shouldn't be. You should have grown out of the milk stage. And you know, it's e very easy for somebody to get born again, to be, be converted, and really just kind of stay there. But that's not at all what God has wants from us. We are to grow, and then we are to teach others. That is God's plan. <clears throat> you know, the life of a disciple is like a child. You're born, and you start out on milk, and then you grow, you, you have more solid food to eat. And uh, that's how a disciple is. And as we grow, we get more discernment. You know, there's a lot of false teaching out here in the world. You can get, there's so many. And I don't know that I know exactly all the time what is false and what isn't. But we have to learn. We have to learn to discern. We And God the more we study God's word, the more he's going to give us wisdom and discernment. And we need it. And again, I can't stress enough how that leaders have to lead so that the people have someone to follow. Not, not someone to push them or to make them do things, but lead by example. And I thought of Zach Poonin. I'm going to borrow an example from him. He said, say there's a, say you want to teach a group of people how to swim. I would be a student. I've never been in water over my head. I've always been scared of water. Uh, people, you want to teach how to swim. You can do one of two things. 
He said, you can get a, get them in a setting like this, and you can have a diagrams, you can have all kinds of ways to tell them how to, how to do it. And then you tell them to go out and swim. He said, they'll all go out in the water and they'll all drown. Because they don't know how to swim. Or you can take them out, take them to the water, and you can go in and you can start to swim and you can teach them by example. They can follow you as you are swimming. You can teach them that way. You can't teach them. And, and that's a little bit what I'm talking about. We have to lead and we have to do it by example. We have to do that. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's my encouragement to you. Don't follow me. Don't follow Denny Caniston. Don't follow uh, DK or whoever. Only follow us as we follow Christ. <clears throat> so I'm not sure am I preaching to the congregation? Am I preaching to leaders? One thing I'm sure, I'm preaching to myself. First of all, I need to be reminded to do these some of these things. Um, and I said, we are going to look at some of the great benefits, and then we're also going to look at the cost. Um, one thing that I, that I think I, you know, when we study the Word of God, always new things pop up. And uh, when Jesus gave that great commission, he ended it with saying, and lo, I will be with you unto the end of, to- uh, end of the world, I think it says. Well, I always thought, you know, that means that every generation God is going to be with, you know, when we go, God's still going to be continuing. But really, I think that it, we can take it another way, for sure. That is, God will be with us when we desperately need him. If you have ever been in a prison service and had a chance to take a prisoner and answer their questions, or somebody wants to get born again, and you're there, and you're trying to tell them the truth, you desperately want God's presence there. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, he's going to give you words to speak that you don't even know are in here. I have experienced that. I think probably many of you have. God gives you the right words to speak. That's because you have already studied. And he will be with us wherever we go. He will be there with us, teaching us. Or maybe you're asked a question. Have you ever been asked a question like, what do you believe? What do you folks believe? Anybody ever been asked that question? Of course, most of us probably have. Or maybe, why do you wear that thing on your head? Or uh, why do you dress the way you do? I guess that's not quite as relevant to us. We're like, what's his name that was here a few months ago? Said that said we are conservative fish. <laughs> we got the hint. Anyway, uh, we get asked questions. And we need to have an answer. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you're going to welcome those questions. If you're not, 
you probably get a little uncomfortable. If you get uncomfortable, read the Bible more. We need to study God's Word. We re- need to always be ready with an, for the hope that lies within you. Is that how it says, be ready oh, to give an answer to anyone? No, it says to ask about the reason of the hope. I just thought of that this morning. I thought it says the hope, the reason of the hope. The reason of the hope is the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm not, I, I didn't study that, so I'm not sure. But I'm going to give you an example. As I was studying here, I thought of something that happened many, many, many years ago, 40-some years ago. I was in my brother-in-law's store, had a food store, and there was a cheese and meat counter, just like Troyer's down here he has. There was an Amish girl from our church, was behind the counter, taking care of a customer. And this customer asked a question, and I don't know exactly what it was. It was something like, why do you wear that on your head, or why do you dress the way you do? Totally... um, insincerely asked that question. And this poor girl got very uncomfortable. And then she gave this answer. She said, well, the Bible says that we people are not to be like you people. And I went, oh, no, oh, no. I knew exactly what she meant. She was saying, you are the world, and we are to be we are not to be like the world. So that was her explanation. And this customer is very puzzled. I'm very glad she didn't understand what she meant. But you know, we can say that is terrible. It is terrible, but it isn't. It wasn't her fault near as much as it was what she was taught. Nobody, she was just stressed that we are to look, mostly look, not, we didn't have to be different from the world, did we, Joe? Just look different. We could have all kinds of garbage in our heart, and that was okay. But as long as we look different, we... So, you know, that she was just saying what she was taught. And I'd be horribly embarrassed. But I would take some of the blame if some, somebody from here answered a question. They wouldn't say that, but completely wrong. It would mean we haven't been doing our job, right, DK? I think so. Let's take that serious. Anyway, um, you know, if we have God's word hidden in our heart, then we can come forth with answers. And I thought maybe I would interact just a little bit. I think that is how we learn as as a group. If we... Hear each other out. If I ever taught a discipleship class, I would be taught as well as teach because there's a lot of things I need to know. And by a group discussion, I think we could do that. What would you say if somebody asked, what is your theology on eschatology? How many know what that means? Can I see your hand? There's quite a few that do. Uh, you do, Daniel. You didn't raise your hand. You, don't you know what that means, Luke? <laughs> well, you had two kids talking. Uh, one is just bigger than the other. Um, Sid, what would you say if somebody asked, what is your theo- theology, just means your belief system, 
on eschatology. Do we even know what that word means? Yeah, probably quite a few. But there's quite a few that don't. You know, are you pre-millennial? Or are you... There's a lot of people that get into deep discussions. Then they get into arguments. I am not interested in arguments. Because I want to learn. I want to... Some of those answers we don't know. There's... I heard about one. Somebody said about this person. He said, so strong about how Jesus is going to come that if he comes different, he's going to probably have to tell him to go back and come back the way he was supposed to. You know, we can't get into those areas, not at all. <clears throat> but maybe here in the South, in the Bible Belt, you may be asked this. Do you believe in the doctrine of perseverance of the saints? How many of you know what they mean when they ask that? I'd like to know. There's quite a few that really don't know what that means. And I wouldn't have known it some years ago. Here's what I would tell them. And I just give you one of my answers. But then I want you to answer some too. I would say, okay, perseverance. That means continue on in spite of opposition. You continue on. So yes, in the perseverance of the saints, we continue on. We stay Focused, we are, but that is not really what they mean when they ask that. They mean, do you believe in unconditional eternal security? So if you were asked that, what would you say? Is it possible for a Christian to lose your salvation? That's a question I've been asked many times in my writing and things. How... Who wants to answer that? Joe, you went through a long phase of some of that, didn't you? You probably have a lot of answers. I would like to hear from you or anybody. How do how do you how would you answer if somebody asked in all sincerity, do you believe in unconditional eternal security? They probably don't they often don't use that word that I put in there. Because I do believe in eternal security. I believe there is security for the believer. I believe as long as we are in Christ and we are following him, we have the total security. But then it becomes unconditional. What do you what do you say, Joe? Okay. I guess I did. I wasn't I wanna Amen. Amen. That's a very good phrase. Abiding in Christ, we have security. Now, they're going to come back, especially if it's a Calvinist. Now, I'm not real versed on Calvinism, but I do know there are at least five points, and they start with a T and a U and an L and an I and a P, tulip. And I have some things. I'm going to study that a little more if I teach on what Jesus commanded. Um, you know, I've said already, uh, I don't think that my God made certain people on purpose to send them to hell. Isn't that kind of what election is, Joe? Somewhat, that we don't have any choice in it. Uh, I don't understand it. I, I, a Calvinist thinking eternal security is just one of them. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Joe? 
you know, I know there's, <laughs> we, could, we could spend two days talking. And I, Joe, would love to hear you teach. You know, if you taught so that we understand when, so that we understand it, uh, you could teach that probably better than anybody here. And I want to give you, I'm not picking on you or not lifting you up, but I do want to give you a word of encouragement. I don't know, uh, well, first I'll say, I think you would be a great teacher on discipleship. I don't know what you taught Donnie King and Ducky when they lived at our house. They had a weekly Bible study with Joe or so. But they would come back pretty enthused. They loved what they were taught. They loved to learn. And so you had a, you had a great opportunity there, and you took it. Uh, Donnie especially went through a lot of turbulence in his life. But I just saw him a couple of weeks ago my, when we went to Ohio. My wife and I had the opportunity to take his father-in-law from Union Grove up to Ohio, see him and his newborn daughter, girl, new, newborn daughter. And uh, then we brought Tom and Sandy, uh, his father-in-law, mother-in-law, along back after the weekend. And Donnie, I think, is doing well. You know, he needed help through his turbulent times, and that's so, so good. <clears throat> I'm going to go into another area that we would need. What if you were asked this? Are demons real? We're talking about spiritual warfare. Are they real? Are there demons today? And here's a hard one. <laughs> Can a Christian have a demon? Now that answer seems obvious in theology. But in practice, it's not always that simple. I really wonder, Hillel, if you ever get involved in that type of spiritual warfare. In Haiti, you will. Honduras, you will. Some. Um, and it seems like there's people that were believers that have been harassed. But those are things we really don't need to know as much about them as we don't. We have to learn to not be afraid to just confront spiritual warfare in any form because we have the power. What's that song we sing? In the name of Jesus, we have the power. We do.
But if we're not a disciple, I don't know how much power we got. Probably not very much. Okay, I could ask you a hundred questions. There's a hundred topics or more that we could discuss. And I would love to be a part. I'd love to learn some of them. You know, I get asked a lot of questions concerning the articles that I write. Facebook sometimes. I put a lot of articles on there already. And I get asked questions. And you know, because if I put something out that could go all over the world, I want it to be the truth. It better be the truth. It better not just be uh, my thinking. Justification, sanctification. That'd be great to talk about the difference there. Those are things you hear the words, but you're not, not sure what is the difference. Justification. And then you ask the question, uh, we could ask the question, is it progressive or is it a one-time thing? Great discussion. Those are things that we could discuss. And I'm just going to move on. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Think about this. After we are justified, sanctified, holy, as they get older, as they progress, can we get more holy? Make a great discussion, wouldn't it, Joe? <laughs> wouldn't that make some of those things would be great to discuss? You know, Satan comes as an angel of her. But we need to learn what Jesus did. When, Je- when Satan tried to use scripture, Satan told him really what the scripture says and what it means. You know, he told Eve, has, has God said? Well, there's nothing wrong with saying that, but he tried to get the thought going the wrong way, and it worked. But it didn't work with Jesus, and it won't work with a disciple of Jesus. Okay, how many of you would have a desire to be discipled a little more, or be discipled more, to be a disciple of Jesus? I'd like to see your hand. How many would like that? Praise God, that's the biggest raising of hands we've had all morning. Now, it's not fair if I don't tell you that it comes with a price. There is a price And I'm going to, let's turn to Luke 14. Chapter 14. Jesus very clearly, without any doubt, gives the qualifications on how, on what it takes, what the cost is, of being a disciple of his. Let's go to verse 25. A little hard for me to read. It says, verse 25 says, There went great multitudes with him, and he turned, and he said to the, and he said to them, Notice, this is not just the twelve, this is a great multitude of people. And he's telling this great multitude, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
Then he stops and he gives the story of a man that wanted to build a big man, or what does it call it, a tower. And if he doesn't see, starts to build, and all at once he has no more ability to continue on, he'd become the laughing stock of the place. You know, they just make fun of him. <clears throat> he says, don't do that. Or a king making war uh, with another country, he sets down Count Holst. You know, he, he says that. Then in verse 33, he continues. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsake is not all that he has, cannot be my disciple. So the cost is pretty big. But <laughs> I can't stress enough how worthwhile it is to give your all to God. Look what he gave for us. <clears throat> Count the cost. You know, I was fascinated as I was thinking and studying this, how much this resembles a marriage. You sisters, you gave, you left father and mother. Hate, it's not hate like we use. I think you're all aware of that. It just means father, mother, brother, sister. Interfere with you being a disciple. Don't let that get first place. Being a disciple is first place. The same way a sister will leave her father and mother. And you shouldn't. Some do. Let your family interfere with your dedication to your husband. You leave all. You leave all. And when I see some of he was at our daughter-in-law's, son and daughter-in-law's place last night. Four little children, mother, homeschooling. She certainly has a cross to bear, too. You know, she left father and mother. She gave up everything. She has that cross, although she does it gladly. No question about it. But there's a lot to it. I mean, you give up. In order to gain. You give up a lot and then you gain a lot. <clears throat> My personal testimony, and I didn't even know what the word, I wouldn't have known anything about discipleship or being a disciple of Jesus. Shortly after I was born again, I had to make a decision. My wife and I. We, in order to follow Jesus, we had to leave everything we knew, our home, move to another state, start all over again, expecting our family to, to, to cut us off. I didn't know, but all of my brothers and sisters eventually are disciples of his to the most part. I didn't know that. We had to go. We had to leave. And we were willing to do that. Some of you did that. And your blood brothers and sisters still have nothing to do with it. I, we don't have that. We all get together. And we all fellowship. And we have a wonderful time. The six of us that we're all here yet. <clears throat> and we enjoy that. <clears throat> um, I have one more question I'm going to ask. And this this has been a bunch of my discussion on uh, 
my articles. Can a person be a Christian yet not be a disciple of Jesus? Can you be? Can you be a, I don't know what word to use. Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? Who wants to answer that? Hello? <laughs> What's that one minute? You mean it, that, it, that's how long it takes till God gets to your heart? <laughs> what do you say? Okay, this is what I was at. What about the thief on the cross? But was he a disciple? Exactly. I agree with you. I believe I believe that it is that a Christian either will if he has the real thing, he's gonna grow. Just like a baby. He's gonna grow. If he dies, he won't grow. But if he has a real thing, he's gonna grow. Uh, I was asked this question not too long ago on by a young man that I know somewhat, have a high respect for him. He um, he definitely would have known him as a Christian. But he wrote me and asked me, why do I think that of all the people in my family and my church, why did God, why did I end up, and so many of my friends and family didn't, and you know, when I read that, I thought, you know what, I think, I think this is coming from a Calvinistic approach. I'm not sure. So I put it very clearly. I said, I think the reason that God chose me, he gave me some opportunities. I can point back to people that witnessed to me. And I had a choice to make. I could say, well, that's not how we believe. Or I could look in the scripture and say, you know what? You're right. And I started walking in that. The more I walked with Christ, the more he revealed to me. It was always up to me to make the right choices. And that brought me to the place I'm at. Instead of, well, I didn't, I didn't say much. Then he came back and he said, well, you answered my question probably without realizing it. And... He didn't know, but I kind of realized what the question was. He thought I was elected to be saved, and the others weren't. God just randomly, I don't know how he does, randomly just by. I was elected, predestined. Zach Poonin says, God predestined us, and it says somewhere in Scripture, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his dear son. That's predestination. He never predestined anybody to go to hell unless it was Judas or, I don't know, you know, I don't, but that's not the God I serve that picks people. And so we've had a good bit of discussion and he has his thoughts and I have mine. We don't argue, but uh, he knows where he stands and I know where I stand and we haven't convinced each other and probably never will. <clears throat> but anyway, it's time to, I don't know what, 
Yes, let's, I want to bring to a close. Um, John 6, verse 66. I should turn to that. I didn't prepare for that. But there's a verse. I, I just want to show something there in that verse. It's when Jesus, it said he gave some hard gave some hard sayings. Just a minute. I want to get it right. John 6. Therefore, therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given unto him of my father. Yes, I believe that God, that's what, that's what I told this man. God gave a response correctly. And if I would have not accepted the truth, I would have never gone anywhere else. Not that I would have continued following a dead religion. But then, because this, some, some of these things that Jesus had taught, that was a hard saying. 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no, no more with him. You know, again, it calls those people, that great multitude, calls them all disciples. Uh, those disciples, they just, it was too hard. They counted the cost, and it was too hard. <clears throat> um, and I hope, I hope there is enough interest here, and I think there is, if we can find the time to do it, whether it's Wednesday evening, once in a while, or, or what, that we would um, spend some time encouraging each other, blessing each other, but learning from each other. We could do that in a setting. I think we, as a church here at Cleveland, are very ripe for that. We're not spending our time fussing and fighting or backbiting about little things. Many churches do. You know, tiny little things. That we don't do that. We have learned to be loving and a little more accepting. And um, and I think that is, that is very good. I think we're also wanting to learn. And I think we can teach each other. We can do that. We need to. We need to learn from each other. I would love to come back from Honduras and there's a discipleship group. There's quite a few of you that could lead out and we could have a blessed time. But we'll have to see. Just closing, I'm going to close with a verse, last verse in Second Peter. Yea, therefore, beloved, seeing... You know these things. Beware, let with the air of the wicked fall or fail, what is it, from your own steadfastness. It's giving us the warning. The only sure way that we will keep from falling is being tightly connected to Jesus. The last verses in Jude says, unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. It's exceeding joy for Jesus to be 
to present us to the Father as being one of his faithful disciples. Then the last verse says, but grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever, growing in wisdom and knowledge. You know, there can be a wrong and there can be a right knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. But the right kind of knowledge. I mean, we could go and we could go to seminary and school and get all kinds of theology right. If we don't preserve way, in a kind and a loving way, if God, if the people you're trying to teach do not sense, first of all, your love to God, but also your love to them, probably isn't going to make much difference. Knowledge puffeth up. But here it says, grow in wisdom and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my encouragement this morning. Be a disciple. Become a disciple. Learn the thing, all things of God. Study what are those things that Jesus taught us to observe. I think there's about 50 of them that I am aware of, probably more. It's going to be a lot of studying, trying to get that together. But God gives us grace. So let's go for it. Encourage. Bible says provoke one another with love and good work. Encourage one another. Let's do that.